Last week we looked at John 14, and I will not leave you as orphans, but this week I want to follow up with and go to John chapter 15. Remember last week we, we read a few verses of 15, and what a glorious and wonderful chapter that is. And we said that before that, Jesus talked about some of the challenges and difficulties and actually the tremendous adversity that these disciples were going to go through uh, when he said, I will not leave you as orphans. But then we get to John chapter 15, and some of the most beautiful and amazing and, and encouraging words. And let's be honest, this morning as we're going to talk about sometimes the most confusing words in some ways in the New Testament. And so we'll look at all of that today. In John 15, chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples that I am the true vine. These are my notes here. I'm not just trying to make a phone call. Hang on. Don't you thinking that? I'm usually, there we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't think we fully grasp and understand and own and embrace the power and the directness of those words of Jesus. Because we spend so much of our time trying to do stuff on our own. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Pastoring a church, growing a church, teaching Sunday school, being a dad, being a mom, uh, serving in the church, uh, being a, a good uh, employer, employee, uh, growing daily in Christ, becoming more like him. Apart from him, you can do none of those things in your flesh. And the adversary wants us to think it's just if we just have to work harder and do more and bear down... Jesus says, no, apart from me, you have to abide in me, and I'm in you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. I mean, do you get the picture here? You're not going to do it unless you're connected to me. We say all the time, you can't save yourself. You know, we're here as Baptists. We, we firmly believe that salvation is not of works. It is grace, even the faith to accept what has been given to you. Even that faith is a gift of God, at least you would brag or boast that you found it yourself. Salvation is all the finished work of Jesus Christ. None of us can earn it. None of us deserve it. None of us participate in it other than to repent and to receive it. And again, even the ability to do that is a gift of God. And yet sometimes we think our spiritual growth depends on us. Our salvation doesn't, but our sanctification, we think, depends on how hard I work. Well, you can work really hard and not grow any at all in your knowledge of Jesus. You can come to church, you can tithe, you can teach, you can volunteer, but if you do it with a wrong heart, with a wrong motive to impress others, to whatever, 
Apart from Jesus, the one that saved you is the one who grows you. If you want to grow in your love of Jesus and your love of other people and your love of his word, if you want to grow as a believer, you have to abide in him. You have to marinate in him. You have to draw your strength from him and let him grow you. Colossians says to let your roots go down and draw up nourishment from him. It's amazing sometimes we just accept him as our Savior and accept that he has saved us, but then feel like all of the sanctification, all of our discipleship has to be our own effort and our own work. And then we wonder why we grow weary when we fail. Jesus said to abide in me and I in you. And you can do nothing apart from me. I deal all the time with churches that are struggling and dying, and many of them are trying all kinds of different things to keep that from happening. Today, this week has been a particularly difficult week in many ways. I, I've dealt with some very, very broken pastors in some very dysfunctional churches. And they, they often are trying one thing and then another, and, and they, they'll try this conference, or they'll try this event, or they'll go learn how this church did it, and they'll say to me, and I had a couple of them say this week to me, well, we've tried that, and it didn't work. And I know what they mean, but I also know what Henry Blackaby always said to me was, well, you try that, and it didn't work, because it never works. Jesus works. You're not, you're not trying Jesus. You're not following him. You're trying to do it in your own strength and your own power for him, yes. But you're trying to do it yourself. You're trying to fix what's broken yourself rather than seeking him first and foremost. And that's true in a church. It's true in your life. It's true in your marriage. It's true in every possible way. Some of us have ups and downs, we have good days and bad days, we have good periods and bad periods, we have periods of, of confidence and joy, followed sometimes by periods of apathy and even periods of deep darkness. And sometimes those can come and go without any warning whatsoever. And the answer to all of that is to abide in Jesus. When you don't feel like praying, you pray. When you don't feel like abiding in Jesus, abide in him, lean into him. Listen to him. Read the hymns. Read your scripture. Listen to good Christian music. Listen to some good biblical preaching on the radio or on your iTunes. Abide in me. Because apart from that, you can do nothing. And then he says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers like the branches that are gathered and thrown into fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's verse 6 is a whole other other passage there we could spend time on, but I don't have time today because I want to focus on this one or two verses here. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, now that's all predicated on, on what we just said. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Now, before we get to the prayer part, I want you to realize that as the Father has loved the Son, do we have any doubt? about the Father's love for the Son? Is it ever in question? 
The relationship and the love that the Father has for the Son is absolutely unimaginable. And it's, it's throughout all of the Scripture. And Jesus says, just as that love that the Father has for me, I have that love for you. Can you imagine when you wake up in the morning and you feel, you feel drained, you feel hopeless, you're, you're worried about finances, you're worried about health, you're worried about any number of things that are very real to be worried about. The one thing you don't have to worry about is that Jesus loves you as much as the Father loves him. Just let that sink in for a while. Nothing else really matters. You truly are loved. I mean, decades ago, Hellsburg Jewelry came out with a little button that said, I am loved you remember that a long time ago. They don't do that anymore. They were bought by William Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. But anyway, I think they're still loved. But nonetheless, the little button, I am loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. And at the end of the day, all of us, the reason we worry about it is we know we're not worthy of that love. We know we're not worthy of our spouse's love, our children's love, our parents. We know what we know in the deep, dark recesses of our heart who we really are. And that's why we always crave of affirmation and love because we know we're not worthy. Jesus knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he loves you as the Father loves him. And we could just end with that this morning, really. But he says something that is somewhat confusing, sort of, if we don't break it down about asking what you wish, and I will do it for you. Now, every prosperity preacher in, in all of history have, has clapped onto that verse and some others and have tried to use it in a way that, that, that twists it and turns it so basically you can have whatever you want. But let's be honest when we talk about prayer. Sometimes we just really don't understand it. I mean, we, we understand prayer when it comes to confession and repentance, we understand prayer when it comes to wanting to meditate and, and become closer to Jesus. But when we begin sometimes to not fully understand prayer is as what John Piper said. And these, these points here I'm going to give you are from, from Piper from 20 years ago. And, uh, and it's been important and, and, and impactful in my life for 20 years. And, and before I leave you, I wanted a chance to share this with you. But he said the, the thing about prayer is this. It's the potential and the problem. In prayer, God is both the potential and the problem. He's the potential because we know he can do anything, right? There's nothing he can't do. So we pray for our lost friends. We pray for physical healing. We pray for broken relationships. We pray for financial uh, difficulties to be overcome. We pray for any number of things, and we know that God can do all of those things. There's nothing he can't do. He has the potential to do them all. So in prayer, we know he has all of this potential, and that's glorious. But that's also a problem, because what happens when he doesn't? What happens when he doesn't heal? What happens when he doesn't? When it, apparently our, our loved ones are not converted after years of praying for them, or what happens when he doesn't deal with the financial issue in our life? What happens when those things don't happen? And so we have both the, both the potential of everything we know that God is able to do, but the problem when we pray and it doesn't happen. How do we come to terms with that? Do we just ignore it? We just kind of don't really confront it? I mean, it says right here that if we abide in him and he abides in us, ask anything you wish. Now, obviously, you've heard other people preach, I hope you have, 
that if you're wishing only for your own benefit and your own glorification and your own satisfaction, your own financial worth, you're not abiding in Jesus. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Maybe I need to not assume you already know that. But, I mean, just the fact that you want a big house and you want good health and you want all that stuff, you, you have to abide in Christ. He may want you to know that those things would actually cause you to not to abide in him, but to abide in the world. So you're asking for the... But that's another point. So let's look at why sometimes, even though God has the potential to do anything, what, we, what happens, what's the deal when he doesn't? Why aren't our prayers, in that sense, answered? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. One of the reasons our prayers may not be answered is we're not asking according to his will, as I just said. Just because I want it doesn't mean it's God's will. In fact, a lot of things I want are not God's will. Just the other day, you know, just yesterday, couple, three years ago, I don't know, maybe not that long ago, there was some property throughout west of Baser, and I just knew this was going to be Casa de Clifton forever, you know. So I checked out it and walked it and took pictures of it and dreamed of what a house would look like on it. You know, we'd want to live out in the country sometime, and it was a little ahead of schedule, and my wife would have had it driven quite a ways back into work. She's not going to She's not going to quit working for a couple more years by her own desire. So she would have driven a, quite a long ways. But I thought I could use all of my winsome charm to let her realize it would be worth it. And uh, she's a very gracious and wonderful. By the way, thanks for praying for her. She's better this week. It was a hard week. She missed several days of work, and she's still not totally back, but uh, doing, doing much better. But um, long story short, you know, I wanted it. I thought it was great. It would be perfect. It's what we're exactly looking for. and um, But she was uh, kind and gracious and let me know probably not what we needed, what we wanted and what we needed. And, but if it had been up to me, I'd already, I already talked to my banker. If it had been up to me, I'd, I'd have bought that land probably. So yesterday we drove out to see what it looked like. And right next to us, this is a long story that means nothing to most of you. But the land just sloped so pretty. It was on a hill, and it sloped down, and it was so pretty. Right next to the property we were going to buy, this guy built a big house backwards. I've never seen that before. It was a new home, but the back of the house faced the road. Maybe, you've, maybe somebody's got a house like that. I'm sorry if you do. But the entire back of that, I thought, what is that? Because the deck was across the back. It was a walkout, you know? And so he wanted the house to walk out, so he wanted to... So I actually kind of drove around so I could see, and sure enough, the front of the house was facing up the hill. And Jill didn't say anything, but I thought if we bought that land, we'd be next to the backward house for the rest of our life, right? That's how people would know where we live. Oh, you've got that weird backward house next door to you. And I'm really grateful I didn't get that piece of property because that would have drove me nuts looking at that house. Like, turn that thing around. It doesn't go that way. What in the world were you thinking? I don't want to see your backyard in the front yard. Because in my, it just, I thought, and so I, I was thinking about that. thinking about, we, 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 we think we know what we want. We're absolutely convinced it's right. But it's not. And just because we want it 
Just because at that moment we're convinced of it doesn't mean it's what's right. And sometimes we don't get what we pray for because we're not asking for the right thing. It may seem like we are. And that's where you have to abide even more in Jesus and not yourself. Because Satan will distort you all the time. When Satan came to Jesus to tempt him after 40 days in the wilderness, he tempted him in, in, in three primary ways. First, he tempted him with, with bread, with, with flesh, with, with the needs of the moment. And then he tempted him by saying, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all this stuff. And then he said, I'll tempt him by throw yourself off of the temple. and You don't have to work really hard. You, people will already know that you're the son of God. Just, and that's a whole other sermon. But he, Satan comes to us the same way, and he tempts us with these things. And unless we're abiding in Jesus, we confuse those by thinking, well, what we want must be what's right. And so sometimes our prayers aren't answered. As 1 John 5.14 says, if we ask anything according to his will. And even in the model prayer, Jesus talks about the will of the Father on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we ask because it's what we want, not what God would want. Psalm 66:18 or it could be that we have unrepented sin in our life. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. 1 John 5:14 because we're asking for the wrong thing. We're asking for what we want, not what God desires for us. Secondly, sometimes our prayers are unanswered because we are unrepentant. Psalm 66:18 If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. How much time do we spend on repentance as opposed to on pleading for what we want? How urgent is the repentance in our heart and the brokenness as opposed to our urgent in making, making, making requests for those things that we deeply desire? And truthfully, if there is unrepentant, un, unconfessed sin in our lives, as the psalmist says, God will not regard or hear our prayer. I, mean, I don't want to heap coals on your head here, but we have to come to terms with that. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we're not asking what God would want us to ask. We're asking selfishly for our own glory, our own benefit, and we'll, we'll make it sound like we're doing it for him, but it's what we want for our own gain. And what we receive may actually cause us to be further away from him. Secondly, we may be asking, but we have an unrepented heart. We may have gone through the motions, but there's still unconfessed sin deep in us, and we're not confessing it, we're not dealing with it, we're not struggling with it, we're not, we're not, we're not bringing it before the Lord. We don't have a brokenness and repentance. And if we have unconfessed sin, if we're not right before Him, He will not regard our words. I don't think we, I know I don't fully understand that sometimes. I, I understand that I don't fully embrace it sometimes. As I said, if something comes up in my life and I'm quite concerned about it and it seems like an urgent issue, I'll pour out my heart in prayer and oftentimes my tremendous urgency is in the request that I make and not in the sense of the repentance that I have. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I think I've told you this story before. I don't know why I tell everybody else's stories. Maybe they tell mine too. I don't know. 
They say some of them say they do. I travel a lot with uh, Richard Blackaby, and we do some speaking together. And the Richard stories about when he was in high school, and uh, he he decided his senior year in high school to sort of take a year off of his in-depth spiritual life. He was a pastor's kid uh, living in Canada, always sort of in the in the minority, being an evangelical Baptist pastor's kid in Canada. And uh, senior year in high school, he he didn't tell his parents, he didn't make it public, but he in his own heart was just gonna just gonna enjoy school and not be so concerned about things in church and all of that. And he said, you know, I didn't, I didn't become reprobate. Nobody on the outside would have known it. But he said, I quit praying daily. I quit reading my scripture daily. I just, I just wanted to enjoy what it would be being a kid. And he had a couple, three other siblings. And he said one evening, two of his brothers brought a young man to him, a friend of theirs, late at night. And uh, he was very troubled and very upset and, and, and just almost inconsolable with grief and anxiety and maybe thinking of suicide and they didn't know what to do, and they prayed with him. And he, they brought him to their older brother, Richard. He said, I was down in our family room in the basement, and these two teenage brothers of mine brought their friend down and said, you've got to pray for him. He's really distraught. He's really upset. And, uh, and so Richard, he said, I, did, I just prayed like I normally pray. And he said, he got worse. He didn't get better. He became more distraught. And he became more upset. He became more difficult. And uh, my younger brothers were like, well, pray some more. And Richard said, I, I knew it wasn't doing any good. I could feel it wasn't doing any good. He said, we had this really low ceiling in our family room, and it was like they weren't even getting to that ceiling. And I prayed again, and he said he was really getting even worse and more distraught and more anxious and more difficult. And finally, one of my brothers said, you're going to have to go wake up Dad. And it was Saturday night or early Sunday morning. He said, I went up and got in my mom and dad's room at 2 o'clock in the morning or so. And I said, I shook my dad and sleepily kind of woke up and he said uh, so-and-so is down in our basement with our brothers and he's really distraught and kind of worried about him and I can't find any way to help him and my dad sleepy said well just pray for him again son Richard said I, I can't it, it's not so he said my dad in the middle of his sleep got up put his robe on came downstairs and said just went in and just prayed for the young man and he said, just a calmness and a sweetness filled the room, and a calmness and a sweetness filled the young man's heart and his life. And he became relaxed. My dad went back up and went to bed. He said, that showed me, if, you're not, if your heart's not right, and something comes up and you need to pray, you don't have time to make it right. You don't have time to, to get it in the right order. He said, you know, you, you've got to, to use sort of a, a vernacular, you've got to be prayed up all the time. I mean, if your heart's not right and you're living in a, in a state of unrepentant sin, you just can't turn it on like a dime and then pray and expect God to hear you and answer. God does not regard your, hear your prayer if you have unconfessed sin in your heart. And the difference was that Henry went to bed that night in a right relationship with Jesus so he could wake up in the middle of the night and his prayer was heard and answered. Does that make sense? And some of us live in a world where we never really repent of anything. We never are broken. We never weep over our sin. We never cry over our sin. We compare ourselves to others. We think we're really not that bad. We think God may owe me something. After all, I go to church and I tithe and I give and I do these other things. And then we say, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Well, as the psalmist makes it so clear, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and you receive not because you ask with wrong motives so that you spend it on your own pleasures. It may mean that we have a man-centered approach to our life, not a God-centered approach to our life. In fact, we do have. Our default is man-centered. Our default is always what's best for me, what's more convenient for me, what will cause me the least problem, the least pain, the least hurt. How can I get by with the least bit of difficulty? And we're very man-centered in our worldview. And if we're, if, if we're not very intentional and in a discipleship relationship with others and deeply engaged in God's Word, our prayers will be man-centered, will be self-centered. It'll all be about what's best for us, not what's best for the kingdom, not what's best for God's glory, not how can my life reflect the glory of God, whatever it costs. How can my life do more to produce the kingdom and produce the, the glory of God and, and, and lead people to, to salvation and to, to a relationship with Jesus and to a home in heaven? Not what my life can do with that, but how can my life be less difficult? Do you really think the Apostle Paul prays for his life to be less difficult? He prays for his life to glorify God. He prays for his life to be used to spread the gospel around the world. And he's willing to go to prison for that. You realize when Paul and Silas prayed that night in that jail, they were beaten and it was painful and it was difficult and they might even have been killed. And when the jailhouse erupted with an earthquake, Paul and Silas did not run out of the jail. They stayed there. Because they weren't concerned primarily about their own comfort and their own security. They were concerned about the gospel and the glory of God and the jailer. And many times when we pray, we may use the words that make it sound like it's God-centered, but it's really man-centered. And this is really, it goes back to having your, again, the confession of your sin, having your heart right with him, abiding in him so that he abides in you. So that what you're praying is actually what he would desire for your heart and your life. And you really do want what he wants for you, not what you want for you. Mark eleven twenty four. All these things which you pray and ask and believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. It may be that we don't believe God will do it. Perhaps our prayers are unanswered because we're not asking according to his will. Perhaps our prayers are unanswered because we have wickedness in our heart. Perhaps our prayers are unanswered because we're praying with a self-centered attitude of what benefits us, not the kingdom. And perhaps our prayers are not answered because at the end of the day, we really don't believe they will be. We really don't believe they will be. So it says in Mark, sometimes we, we, if we, really, we just don't believe that it'll be answered. We're, we're going through the motions, but we don't really believe it. How many times have we prayed like that? You're not going to acknowledge that, or neither am I. But we know in our heart of hearts, at times we've prayed, and we're saying one thing, but in the deep, you know what that's like? I don't think it's really going to happen. This may not happen. This, this, this might not work. But this one especially, Luke 18, verse 1. At all times, you ought to pray 
and not lose heart. Why is it that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer? Because he wants us to keep praying and not lose heart. Not quit. Not give up. Be persistent in it. George Mueller would pray 50 years for a lost person to come to Christ. And two never did, but they did at his funeral. Prayed for him on his, prayed for them on his deathbed, and they came to know Jesus on his funeral. Don't lose heart. Sometimes God wants us to continue to pray for these things over and over again so that we don't lose heart, that, that we realize that we're in this relationship with him, and he doesn't want us to lose heart. Luke 18, 1, at times... Pray all you ought to pray and not lose heart. Just because it doesn't happen immediately, don't lose heart in that. Keep praying. It's God's desire that you pray. Let's talk for a minute about God's sovereignty in this too. I said the, the potential with prayer is that God can do anything. The problem with prayer is what hap- why isn't he doing it? And we've just listed some of the reasons. Perhaps you're praying selfishly. We have unconfessed sin in our heart. We're praying for our own needs and not for the glory of God. At the end of the day, we really don't even believe our own prayer. Or we quit too quickly and we don't persevere in prayer. We stop too soon. We think, well, it hasn't happened now, so it's not going to. But what about the fact that we know God is sovereign in all things. We don't just know that because someone tells us that. We know that because we see it in the Scripture. He has created every star, and he named him, and he holds them in place by his mighty power. Charles Spurgeon says that every reed on the bank of the river is exactly where it is because God preordained it to be there at that moment. And I believe that. They will, why in the world pray for anything? Because God preordained that you pray. You remember the story of the, of the, of, of, of the first miracle recorded in the, in the Bible, where Je- of Jesus' miracle, where he turns the water into wine? They ran out of wine at the wedding feast. Jesus could have just spoken to those jars, and they could have filled up with wine. Why in the world did he need the servants to fill the jars with water so that he could turn it into wine? He did it for the joy of the servants that they get to participate in this. God had preordained prayer as one of the links in accomplishing his will. And Jesus tells us to pray. And the apostles prayed. Peter and John that morning went to the temple as they went every morning to pray. There's no doubt that God is sovereign in all things, but there's no doubt that he desires us to pray as well. And somehow in heaven we'll find how all of this works together. Pray that you don't lose heart. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Be persistent in your praying. The adversary wants to wear you down and say, well, he's not listening to you. It's not happening. You can quit praying about it. Again, I think it was uh, John Piper who said this, and again, it's really helpful to you. This may be one of the most helpful things at least in my mind, that we might share this morning. So many times in our lives, our prayers are not answered overnight. 
there'd be a few times that you might have prayed for something, and the next morning it happens. That, 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 it happens. I could list a few things like that in my life. But the majority of times, prayer in my life has been things that I've prayed for and continue to pray for and continue to pray for. Some of you are praying for loved ones you prayed for for years, spouses you prayed for for years, parents you prayed for for years. There may be those of you who have loved ones who have, have diseases, and every day you pray for their healing, you pray that they would be healed. James tells us if there are those sick among us that we should pray for them. At the same time, we're told that we don't, our prayers don't, don't, shouldn't become routine and shouldn't become just trite things we say over and over again. So how, how, do, how, do, how do you take the sovereignty of God in all things and the fact that you're praying for this lost friend of yours or this lost spouse or this lost child or this lost family member or someone who has a deep physical need of healing or emotional need of healing and every day you need to pray for them? How, how do you not become routine in that? How do you not say the same prayer over and over in that? How does it now become hollow? You've been praying this for some of you, been praying this for years. I've, I've dealt with people who've prayed for their spouses for years. As I said, God preordains everything. He preordains your prayer. Now listen, hold that thought. And we're going to go to the Old Testament, to Daniel. I love this. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And then he talks about how he fasted and then ate no, no delicacies, no meat or wine near my mouth, and all that he did for three weeks. And then if you look at verse 12 of Daniel chapter 10. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come to you because of your word. Sometimes he's testing our perseverance. And then sometimes, in praying over and over and over, we will see when we get to heaven that he's been hearing every single prayer And in his sovereign plan, every single prayer has been another link in what he intends to do. And none of them are wasted. And so daily, this is what Piper says, and I just love it. Daily, he says, if you're praying for the same thing day in and day out, week in and week out, pray this. God in heaven. Today. This is June 22nd. I pray that you will do effectually with this prayer on June 22nd what you determined to do throughout all history. Pray your good work to come from this prayer for my friend, for my loved one, for the healing, this specific prayer on this June 22nd. And then June 23rd, June 24th, because every prayer matters. Every prayer is effectual. Be a bit like those servants filling the jars. It had to fill them to the brim. Well, they had to bring in water. Like they brought in some and then some more and then some more. And every time they brought in water, it filled it up more and more and more. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered because God wants to 
determine our perseverance in this and, and how persistent we are in it. And sometimes they're not answered because he will answer them eventually, perhaps not until we see eternity, but we'll then look back and realize that every time we prayed, it was effectual. It was never worthless. Listen, if you've got a clean heart before the Lord and you've truly repented and you're abiding in him and he is abiding in you and you truly want what he wants, then every prayer you pray is effectual and has a purpose and a meaning in all eternity. And we do know that every disease will one day be healed for all who are in Christ. That's an certainty. We do know that every broken relationship will one day be mended for all who are in Christ. That's a certainty. We do know that financial troubles, no matter how pressing they feel right now, will not be anything in eternity. That's a certainty. We know those prayers eventually will be answered. And he may determine to answer them in this life, but he does that for his glory, for his purpose, and for his redemptive plan. And it all begins with abiding in him. Because if you don't abide in him, you won't pray the right prayer. You won't pray for the right reason. You won't pray persistently. You won't understand that years and years of praying for the same thing are not a waste of time. They're not a waste of of energy. They're not a waste of your breath. They're part of his plan, and every prayer is another link in his sovereign plan. It's all glorious. It's all good. It's all needful, and we spend far too little time doing it. And so when we look back at John 15, where Jesus makes that wonderful statement that if we abide in him and he abides in us, whatever you ask, it'll be done for you. If you ask according to his will, if you ask with regard for sin in your heart, if you're willing to be persistent in your asking, and if you're willing to believe that he has your best interest at heart because He loves you as the Father loves him. And the best way, church, we can abide in him is through prayer and reading his word and being with his gathered church. Because apart from abiding in him, we can't do anything. We can't do anything. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that as you're church hears these words we all struggle at times with the with the potential you have to do anything but the problem when you sometimes it doesn't seem our prayers are answered so as we leave here today may we examine our own lives and ask ourselves are we praying according to your will do we have unconfessed sin in our heart are we persistent in our prayer are we willing to pray daily for the same thing for decades understanding that not one of those prayers is wasted but all of them, Father, perfectly linked in your sovereign design. Lord, I pray you'll make us aware of that. And the amazing opportunity prayer is to break through this world and, and this environment we're in and actually speak to the heavenly host, to actually speak to you in all eternity and know that you hear us. And every prayer we pray with a repentant heart, without regard for sin in our life, every prayer we pray that way, you hear and you answer. You don't ignore us. So some here, Father, needs help this morning with persistence in their prayer. Others, Father, need help 
not thinking it's just the same thing I'm praying over and over and not getting anywhere. Lord, help them realize they're just like filling up those jars. <laughs> they're getting someplace, and one day they'll see it. And Lord, for those who are praying for loved ones who are ill and relationships that are broken, Lord, I pray for their healing. I pray for their restoration. But I also pray, Lord, that in the midst of that, you would be so powerfully real and so strong in their lives that your grace would be sufficient in all things, and they would see not only now, but they would see that you'll never leave them or forsake them. And you're going to work with them and through them in every possible way. And they're not alone. And that prayer is this glorious way where we can speak directly to you, and you will hear us. If we are repentant and confess our sins before you, you hear us and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.